welcome, everybody. It's a very special, special episode of the podcast this week. It's me and Varun's last episode, and he's here with me to do the intro. But before we get into that, no announcements this week because it's the end of the school year. So enjoy your summer, have fun, and Influx will be back in the fall, of course. But it will be back without me and Varun. So this is the last episode. Yeah, it's been a, an amazing year and a half doing this with Nico. What's, it's cool because at the beginning of this podcast, me and Nico knew of each other, but weren't like really friends. But you know, in the past year and a half, things have changed. And it's really cool seeing the progression of that alongside the podcast. So I'm, I'm, sh- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss this platform. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but before anyone else gets sad, don't worry. Bell and Amadeus, as you guys know from Influx Live, they're going to be carrying on the torch. Really excited to see what they do with the podcast because Influx Live was such a cool, you know, unique podcast recording. And so that went really well. And that was their first episode. So it's going to be awesome. And yeah, me and Varun, you know, maybe we'll come back for an episode or two. We've always got our mics. We've always got something to say. (laughs) Yeah, we'll have new hot takes maybe next year and some... (laughs) You never know. Yeah. And Amadeus and Bell, it's, it's up to them to call us back. So I guess you guys can <laughs> let them know if you guys want us to come back too. Yeah. And of course, this week we have... Hi, I'm Koi Vin. I am Senior Director of Design at Adobe, working on our design products. And I'm based in New York City. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll hand it off to us in real time. Welcome, everyone, to the final episode for Nico and I on Influx Podcast. We'll be passing it off to some amazing underclassmen, but today on our last episode, we're really happy to have Koi Vin on. He's actually the mentor of one of our new junior Flux officers, Jonathan, and as introduced in the soundbite, he's a design director at Adobe. And with that, Nico, let's get this started. All right. Well, thank you so much, Varun, with the intro. So, Koi, I would love to just start off with the basics, really. What initially got you interested in design in the first place? Uh, what got me interested in design? I'm going way back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the story I usually tell is, you know, as a kid, I was really interested in drawing, illustration, comics, that sort of thing, and spent all my time in the art room through high school. So it became pretty obvious that after high school that I would go to some sort of art program. And I went to Otis School of Art and Design in in Los Angeles, initially to study Mm. illustration and painting. But halfway through, I sort of discovered design and realized that the problems that designers were focused on were much more interesting to me than the problems that painters and illustrators were focused on. And so I sort of changed up my program and spent as much time doing design in design classes as possible. Got out worked at some small places, some small agencies and studios doing client services work, then moved to a larger agency environment in New York City doing design work for you know big clients, and then went on to co-found a studio of my own, then went off and ran design at some other companies and did some startups and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I guess the through line is an interest in art and applying art to the real world. Yeah. That actually brings a question to my mind that me and Nico have kind of been bouncing around for the past few episodes. Mm-hmm. How do you yeah. differentiate art versus design? I mean, design is a commercial endeavor. Um, mm-hmm. Art can be too, but I think art is first off an expression of a single person, a single worldview, whereas design is really about 
taking technology and making it more making it more fit for people to achieve ultimately like a, a commercial end or a, a benefit for a, a wide number of people. Mm. And also I'm curious, throughout your career, you've worked at a ton of places, clearly. How did you or when did you hear about user experience and, and when was that kind of a word that reached you as a person? <laughs> well, you know, it was pretty much as soon as I started thinking about building websites, building any kind of interactive system, you, you start Mm -hmm. hearing about, thinking about the user as the central sort of motivating force for how a, a thoughtful design process should proceed. You know, over the course of my time in design, I've been doing design for, you know, more than two decades now. Different names come in and out of fashion. You know, at first we were called interaction designers, then, you know, information architects, and then user experience designers, and then, you know, UI, UX designers, product designers, there's been a lot of labels. I think none of them are wrong. They all make sense to, to some extent. I think user experience, I think is, is a, I think a really apt name, really apt mm -hmm. way of labeling the work that, that we do. I think that's been in fashion now for, you know, five, five or 10 years, depending on how you count it. But I think pretty much since the beginning of working in, you know, any kind of interactive media, I've been thinking of myself as being a professional doing user experience design. Mm. Mm -hmm. You mentioned interactive media. We asked you about when you started having interest in design or what initially interested you in design. Was there always a through line of also being interested in technology or interactive yeah. forms of communication for you? Yes. I think my interest in technology came along later when I really finally sort of grokked like, you know, like personal computers, the, you know, the internet and the way hardware and software work together. But I think as I dove deeper and deeper into, into user experience design, I also at the same time was diving deeper and deeper into technology and really understanding how technology works, what motivates it, what its properties are, so to speak, how, how people adapt to it, how it adapts to people. And I think you really need to be open to embracing the, the, technology aspect as a, as a force on its own in, in, mm -hmm. in addition to being sort of smitten with the, the design side of things in order to be success, successful as a designer. Mm -hmm. So you, you walked us through some of your different companies that you've worked for previously. Can you walk us through kind of what it's like working for some of those smaller companies and, and how that's changed now working for Adobe, which is a bit of a larger company and how, how you've, had an experience with all of that? Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to say this is what it's like at small companies, this is what it's like at big companies. A lot of times what you hear is smaller companies move more quickly and larger companies move move more slowly. And I think that's broadly true, but there are there are pros and cons in both scenarios. I think what's, what's really fascinating to me and super energizing about being in a small company is you can move quickly in terms of shipping stuff, but also with who your customer is and how your customer might be changing. I think that's, it's, it's very, very right. immediate at, at a, a small company and you're doing things, you're not just shipping things more quickly, but you're, but you're responding to the customer more in a much more visceral way. I think at larger companies, right. there's a lot of machinery that you have to sort of get up and running and, and humming, or you have to retool significantly in order to right. respond to customers in, in a, 
in a really meaningful way. On the other hand, the resources that are available to you are you know much much more extensive than what you have at a small company. Also, the the possibility of what you can do in terms of changing the lives of of your customers, changing how they how they interact with technology on a day to day basis is you know many times more impactful by default than at small companies. Of course, small companies can yeah. can become very impactful as well. Yeah, totally. Because big companies move slower and have a larger impact, I guess, how long does it typically take you to see the impact of the work that you're doing expand out into the larger audiences? Mm -hmm. So in terms of when we start thinking about a a new feature or, or, or enhancement or a new system that we're going to deliver to a customer at Adobe... And when we go into discovery on that and we do customer validation and we do, you know, design and prototyping and sort of iterate on that for a while, it can be anywhere from six months to two years. It, it just really depends on the scope of what you're trying to do at any given time and also how high it is on the priority list. Because at a company like ours, despite being huge, we do not have unlimited resources. And so we really have to, to prioritize what we focus on. And so sometimes a, the priority really paves the way for you to get things out very, very quickly. And sometimes yeah. um, the priority sort of dictates the work takes a longer time, has to go through more vetting, has to maybe wait for resources or go through more more cycles of design. So it can really vary. Mm, I see. And in terms of the different types of design work that you've done across your career, you're currently at Adobe where you're designing digital products. I'd love to hear a little bit about your time at New York Times and how that's a different sort of product to deliver where I would say the product's a little bit more implicit. It's, I guess the product is the news, but yeah. How does that? How does your design process adapt for these different sort of products that you're delivering? I think, regardless of what you're working on as a designer, you're essentially following the same methodology. You go mm-hmm. into like a discovery or exploration phase. You do design prototyping. You do validation and iteration. There are many different ways that you could break down that methodology and and label the methodology, but it's not dissimilar. Like you know, working on something. At Adobe or working on something at New York Times, there it's it's essentially the same approach. I think what's what's really different, and and this is where methodology sort of meets the reality of of the structure of a company and a structure of a product and engineering team, is you really have to adapt your process to the sort of rhythms of the business itself. So if, especially if you're quote unquote in-house, if you're part of the product team and you're not consulting as an agency or studio or something where the timelines are a bit more artificial and then you can apply these sort of academic methodologies that, that you read about with a little bit more assertiveness. But in, in, inside a company, you're thinking about either the new cycle or a big refresh or update that's planned or maybe mm-hmm. even like an investor event you know at a company like adobe you know we have an annual huge customer events in the fall mm-hmm. and a lot of our releases are planned around that you know sometimes teams they have different approaches to the engineering delivery and so you adapt to that as well so it's the, the fact that it that at the times it was news and the fact that at adobe it's digital products it's not irrelevant, but it's not really what drives the difference between the design approaches there. It's, it's more about the reality of the business. I see. Yeah. And in terms of metrics between the two companies, obviously very two, two very different metrics. How did you measure your success maybe across the two different types of work that you've done or the different types of work that you've done in, just in general, maybe not even New York Times? 
I mean, I think it's pretty straightforward. I mean, at the times it was, you know, page views, click-throughs, time on mm. sites, ad impressions, eventually digital subscriptions, et cetera. At Adobe, it's, you know, monthly active users, returning monthly active users, and subscription growth. So mm. I'm pretty straightforward. And I guess last question in this kind of this direction. You mentioned this idea of an academic approach that external parties or like studios can take compared to what you can do when you're in-house. Mm -hmm. As two people that are about to graduate from an academic environment, <laughs> how how should we be prepared to see a little bit of our design process change? Well, I don't know what your design process is right now. So, I mean, maybe you're being very pragmatic about it. But I think I think the key thing is to be to be pragmatic. And, and I think if you go into any design problem, whether it's for a small client or joining a large in-house team, you really have to spend some time, just as you would design an actual product or, or solution, you have to sort of send, spend some time sort of designing your, your own approach. You have to mm -hmm. discovery and sort of learn the landscape and think about how you can adapt your way of working to that specific context and, you know, try something out and then be willing to go back and re-examine it, reconsider it, you know, be iterative about it. To be more explicit, I think the one thing I wouldn't do is go out there with this idea in your head of like, oh, I've learned exactly how design should be done. And when I walk into some place, I'm going to teach them how to do it, or I'm going to apply what what mm -hmm. I learned in school, and it's going to go exactly the way that it was taught to me. And I think it's it's rarely, rarely turned out to be the case. Yeah, for sure. I think, especially at SCAD, they do somewhat push speculative design, where like we're allowed to design with the notion of like, as long as it's coming in the next five years, it's okay. <laughs> Which, really, that's not how we're going to be designing in a few months from now, because we'll be going to our jobs respectively, yeah. uh, respectively, and and I'm sure that's not gonna fly. So. Yeah, I think the thing to remember is like uh, what I always tell folks is I, I think if you spend your time in any kind of higher education program or institution, thinking that what you're learning is how to operate as a professional, I think that's completely missing the mark. I think mm -hmm. what I learned in school, what practitioners who went to school five or 10 years ago were taught in their programs is completely different from how they're working today. And it will be even more different from how we're all working in five to 10 years. So if what you're focused on at SCAD or wherever is like mastering a specific methodology, I think that's that's a huge missed opportunity. I think what you should be thinking about is, or, or what, what you should be focused on as a student is like learning how to learn, learning how to adapt to new ideas, learning about change, learning about core fundamental design skills, you know, layout, typography, research, imaging, all that stuff. That's the stuff that's going to serve you well over the long term, not specific techniques or methodologies that are gonna help you in theory you know hit the ground running your first day in the job i don't think that's the point of, of being in school and if you're doing that at a place like scad i feel like i mean it, it may work fine for you you might get a a a, a great job out of school and I'm, I'm not saying that's impossible but it's just such a shame because what you could really be doing is learning how to design in any context and, and be mm -hmm. successful and find what is interesting to you and what really animates you regardless of what the current fashion is for methodology or even platforms or technology. Yeah, I think something you said at the very end where it may get a job at the SCAS program, I would say is 
brilliantly designed to get us a job, but it is it does adhere to that one design methodology. Um, we're really deeply design thinking, double diamond, like kind of detailed, kind of exactly like how Tim Brown mm-hmm. detailed and changed by design. Like it, it's mm-hmm. very closely to that, which serves us well um, compared to some other programs at different universities when it comes to getting jobs. But I think as we go from being freshmen to seniors, we start peeking a little bit behind the curtain <laughs> and we're like, there's more to this. And that, that excites yeah. us, but also we're a little bummed that, you know, we didn't get to peek behind that curtain a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's value in, in learning about that stuff for sure. And yeah. it's it's just don't get too attached to the idea that that's what's going to serve you best as a professional, as an individual, as a, as a person over the long term. I think that's only vocational training. What you need to, to do is learn how to be a better thinker and a better person. Mm-hmm. So moving on to kind of Adobe and your time at Adobe, could you kind of spell out for our listeners what what you do at Adobe, what kind of your roles and responsibilities are there? Yeah, so I lead a team of, depending on how you count on it, just, just under 40 people or so who are designing design tools for professional designers like like myself, like you guys are, will soon be. Um, and so what we do is we, we partner with the folks in our product management team, our engineering team. We together pot out like the, the roadmap for these products. Like what are the features that we're going to build, that we're going to ship, that we think we're going to add value to our customers' lives. And then we go through that whole design process, you know, yeah. discovery and design prototyping and validation, all that stuff. And then we go to market with it. We think about how it's going to land with customers, how we communicate the value, how we work with our partners in product marketing and in, in on our community teams and so forth to make sure it stands the the best possible chance chances for success. And so it's a lot. I mean, for me, like my job is to make sure that organizationally we're set up to win, that yeah. meaning we have yeah. the right designers in the right places and that they are able to connect with the right technologists, the the right, you know, stakeholders, right business people, the way the organization is set up is not getting in their way, make sure that the process is sensible and can produce the best possible outcomes right. at a high level. And then sort of get out of the way for them to actually design those outcomes mm. in a hands-on way and, and and ship them. Yeah, and kind of going off of that, as a designer yourself who's designing design tools, is it ever difficult to not kind of get blinded by your own biases or your own design habits and, and not let those influence things as opposed to like what your target audience thinks, you know? I mean... I'm never wrong, so it's not really a problem. <laughs> Seriously, yeah, it, it can be. I, I think it's not like a huge danger because we have like a great research team within our design organization. We have a really good culture around testing, around meeting with customers. I actually just came back from meetings in London and here in New York with customers, just spending a lot of time with them, talking about what we were going, hearing what their their pain points are. So I think if, if you're in an environment that sort of has sort of fully absorbed this idea of of customer centricity, then it's, right. it's not hard to right. set aside your own biases and, and do what's right for the customer at, at, at a high level. I mean, I think it occasionally does get difficult when people stop seeing the forest for the trees and you start thinking about like the, the process and the org more than you think about the customer goals. But on the whole, it's I think it's a good environment for that. Yeah. 
as a industry that's a little obsessed with our tools, like designers, mm-hmm. we love our tools. Like we fight over them a little bit, probably more than we need to. But how do you uh, take feedback in a serious way when people can be super opinionated about their about their tools? Or how can you kind of sift through all the noise and get to the real feedback when it comes to designing for de- designing tools that people cherish? Yeah, I think. I mean, yeah, designers are very passionate about their tools. And I think when they get passionate about the stuff that we do, whether it's right or wrong, I think it's very useful to hear and to sort of try to understand, you know, where their their joy is or their their pain is. I think that is just one of many inputs that that we take when we're designing. We also, you know, we look at social media, but we also do, you know, primary research on our own. We look at the instrumentation in our products, provides us with a lot of insight into what people are actually doing and how they're interacting with each feature. So we look at that as well. I think you don't ever want to rely overly on one specific input. You want to have a, a host of things. And then as a designer, as a customer, you just sort of the I mean, as a designer, as a person, you really try to synthesize them right. into some some logical worldview. And that's something that the data can't do for you. You really have to reach a conclusion from what the data suggests. Yeah, I see. Something I do want to clarify before I ask my next question. John hinted that the, the product that you work on is XD. Is, is that? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, among, among the products that I work on, yes. All right. So I guess our next question and this is in the XD lane. Um, what are XD's particular aspirations as a design tool? I find it particularly fascinating because uh, in terms of its prototyping side, which is side I find more fascinating myself, it's very interesting how robust yet simple it is despite diving into code. Yeah. Is, is that where Adobe is leaning in onto the product or is it trying to do the design and prototype part? Yeah, so I think XD is really intended to be like an end-to-end UX UI design tool with the goal of reaching the widest possible number of people who are involved in the process of design. So we've invested a lot in the design and layout tooling. We've invested a lot in the prototyping. We've invested a lot in in the sharing with stakeholders and helping stakeholders get feel involved and getting them the access to the design work products. And we invested a lot into the developer, designer developer relationship as well. So the developers can can work easily with what we've got. So I mean, I think prototyping is a particular strength of ours. We feel really great about what we built in terms of prototyping, but there's a lot more that we want to build. We don't think that what we're doing in in the prototyping space is meant to completely replace, you know, the what developers do for everybody. I think Adobe feels like prototyping, the kind of prototyping you see in XD can lead to a, a launchable or shippable product or expression like, you know, no code or whatever. But I think we also see like there will be instances where it's just like inescapable that, that developers will also need to be part of the equation. And, and so we're, we're a bit agnostic about whether you know, one path or the other path or both continue to thrive. Mm. We want to be there to to serve the widest possible number of people involved in the design process. And then I guess my next question, continuing on this, and we may have to cut this out, not depending on if you're allowed to <laughs> answer this publicly or not. We're a school that predominantly uses a competitor. Overwhelmingly, like I think I would say 95% of the yep. school uses a competitor. What are yep. your selling points of XD or like how would you sell XD? Mm-hmm. 
I think XD is a, I think a really elegant performant UX UI design tool that plays really well with the rest of Creative Cloud. And mm. so it, it has a wider perspective on what it means to be a designer. It's not just about UX UI, but also thinking about the integration of design into like a whole organization and right. a whole a whole culture of people being involved in the design process. I think its connection to Creative Cloud is, I think, incredibly, incredibly important and incredibly yeah. v- valuable to to lots of people. So that's that's where I would put it. Yeah, I'm sure John's mentioned because John is one of the XD advocates within <laughs> within within Skadden. Honestly, like I'm happy for it because it just brings more diversity to what we're doing totally. here. Yeah, I mean, I think we're we're enthusiastic about it being a competitive marketplace for sure. I think that pushes us to to do better, and and I think what you want are lots of competing products that each have a unique perspective. Yeah. And I think we don't try to be the competition. I don't think they try to to be us. So yeah, I think it's kind of like a a really fun time to be a consumer of design tools. <laughs> Moving forward, I think we talked about this a little bit, but. For our listeners, Koi is the mentor of one of the all-star freshmen here at SCAD. It's a UX student (laughs) and Flux member named Jonathan Rodriguez. And he's part of the Adobe Design Circle Program and Scholarship. Koi, do you mind like explaining the program itself and and kind of how someone would get involved with that specific program? Yeah, sure. I think so. First of all, Jonathan is amazing. I'm really lucky to be you know, working with him. He's really great kid. And I think we're going to be a terrific designer. We met through, as you said, the design circle that Adobe started a number of years ago. This is a, um, a program that we started really to, to bring together leaders from across the design industry to sort of really think about the future of the practice of design, the industry of design, right. and particularly around the problems of you know diversity and inclusion. And so one of the key focuses of the program, which I sh- actually should say, you know, we've got people from Airbnb and Facebook or mm-hmm. Meta now and NPR and you know just uh, uh, Samsung and just people across the industry. Yeah, one of the things that the people who join the Design Circle agree to do is sort of promote this scholarship that Adobe started, and this is a scholarship that gives essentially twenty five thousand dollars a year to designers um, over the course of four years, up to twenty five thousand dollars a year, up to four years to pursue degrees in design, UX design particularly, but design related fields right. and we focus on awarding the money to, to scholars from diverse and underrepresented backgrounds and so Jonathan is one of the scholars so he I think received the money last year to start it at SCAD this past fall I think it's in his first year and so that's been super gratifying for me to sort of you know met him early on and we talk really regularly and he's sharing with me the work that he's doing in school and he actually went to South by Southwest with mm-hmm. me just a few months ago to tell the story of Design Circle and tell his own story. I think he gave a really moving presentation there. So it's really, I think, one of the, the more gratifying things that I do as part of my job at Adobe. And I think that's actually one of the, the reasons it's so fun to work at Adobe is because yeah. 
it's something that's really core to the company. And there are a lot of companies for whom design is important, but for us, design is really like really a part of our business. And so we feel a responsibility to, to give something back and to do something meaningful. And yeah. so I've, I've been involved in Design Circle since the very beginning. I, I was part of a, a, a small group of people who actually hatched it and sort of figured out how to get Adobe to, to bankroll it. And so it's been, it's been extra gratifying to see it come to life, especially when I get to work with folks like Jonathan. Yeah. Awesome. Actually, I found out about how you were Jonathan's mentor through that South by Southwest panel because Jonathan posted a little screenshot. I was, Uh I was super jealous at the time. I actually (laughs) didn't know much about you as a designer, but I read subtraction and I follow you on Letterboxd because I love movies too, Uh, (laughs) which, which then it pieced in my mind that you're also a designer. And I'm like, Oh my God. (laughs) And Oh really? Yeah. (laughs) So just, just, that was a really cool moment for me and that's why I was very excited for today. I was I've been asking Jonathan since I found out if we could have you on the podcast actually. Yeah, oh, that's very flattering. I'm happy to 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 see it all come together for you. <laughs> Thank you. It's my it's my media plan basically. <laughs> now, something John also mentioned that you love ha- or you have really good thoughts about is the conversation about whether being a generalist or a specialist. We'd love to hear about that as two people that I would probably define as generalists. Yeah. yeah. Nico loves to build. He, he does many other things just beyond that. Um, I love to code. It's just, yeah, like all yeah. over the place. I think it's really helpful to have a generalist's approach, but be willing to do the deep dives, to right. put in the time that's necessary to, to, to understand things as a specialist when the occasion calls for it. I think... If you're ju- if you just just think of yourself as a specialist, I think you really run the danger of essentially having your your expertise become outmoded. I mean, if you really think about the industry that we're in, it's very very much tied to the 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 pace of change that technology follows, and really every se- seven to ten years, technology changes completely. You know from you know, uh, you know the first or second generation of web development to to mobile to ubiquitous devices now to immersive media, and it's not going to serve you well to become a a specialist in something that has you know uh, essentially a perishable skill set. I think you need to be. As a designer, you need to be willing to look out across the whole context of the work that you do to sort of understand all the different dynamics, all the, all the different kinds of technology and kinds of change that are coming. And so that you can you know, adapt yourself and adapt the kinds of solutions that you're creating for, for each situation. And I think that is, that's a really valuable skill that I think not a lot of people early in their career really appreciate. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes there's, a mistaken impression early on in your career that like what people are doing, like the year that you get out is what they're going to be doing for ever. And I think that's, that's really not the case. It's, it, it changes really drastically because technology is constantly changing. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of on that same train of thought, kind of as designers, how do we, or, or how, how do you, I guess, ensure that you're not sort of spreading yourself too thin and kind of learning a lot about a lot of different things, but not enough about more specific things. Do you kind of have ways that you've managed that in your career? Yeah, I think you need to find time in 
in your schedule or in one schedule to deep dive to say i'm going to focus for the next month or you know i'm going to focus you know every every night for the next six months or whatever it is you need to make that time to to dive into the things that you find interesting or that you sort of see coming and and try to understand those forces of change and and it sort of takes tremendous self-discipline and dedication to to bettering yourself and it's it's hard but when I think back like on my career, like the, the times where I've said, okay, outside of my day job, I'm really interested in this this other innovation or something that's coming along. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to spend, I, I'm going to invest the time that's necessary in order to become really smart about it. I think it's, it's always paid dividends. Yeah. What's yeah. the latest deep dive you've done, for example? It's probably been too long. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not taking my own advice enough. I'm just spending all my time in in generalist meetings, I guess. <laughs> and I guess before we go on to like some rapid fire questions, quote unquote, um, I, I can't let you go without asking about your blog and your love for movies. So first <laughs> of all, before this, I was checking on your LinkedIn just to see how long you've been doing subtraction. Because I know when you scroll through, the, through your site, you can see the number of years and it's a lot of yeah. years. You're hitting yeah. 25 years this year i I can't believe it how have you sustained writing for that long on like one platform to be honest i haven't i think over the past few years i've just really dropped off i just haven't had the time between the scope of my job has sort of been progressively getting larger and larger and at the same time trying to Mm. really be present for my my family it's been really hard to find the time but my answer to that question used to be that i just really love writing and i love the 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 act of like getting ideas out there and mm. and crystallizing them for myself and then getting the feedback to that interrogates them and helps me you know you know evolve my thinking i think that's that's i think one of the really underrated key tools that designers it just comes from the idea that a design isn't finished when you're done when you're done adding things to it it's finished when you're done taking things away from it. It's the less is more concept. I see. And because... A thoughtful, articulate, and opinionated writer, I think, is also, I think, a super value. The movies that you've watched, I'd love to hear a little bit about when your love for movies started, whatever you want to detail about that. Yeah. I mean, it probably started. So that's what drove that blog for a, a long, long time. Yeah, I I really enjoy watching movies and I think there's something to learn. On that topic, I guess, is there a design thing I mean, I try- that you like to reference frequently? Any, I'm not sure. Movies from any any country, well, it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter so long as there's at least the, the, the promise of something interesting happening there, some, some in general, and I've sort of become a little bit disaffected is, and I, and I think it doesn't have to be a huge one. It can just be it's just the same story that we've seen a million times told with just a slight new twist. I think that's that's totally great too. And so there were. I think there's a lot that designers can learn from from movies on many different levels. I think the the storytelling aspect, like how you bring along a viewer, I think is very similar to how a designer yeah. brings along a user when they're creating an experience, and certainly how a designer brings along stakeholders when they're trying to get designs you know, approved or built. I think it's storytelling is an incredibly important part of that. There's nobody that I quote regularly. I think. Valuable and interesting at the right times. Just curious, where does the number 
but also like I just really admire film in that it's a kind of artistry that is sort of filtered through technology and is I think when it's successful really maintains that artistic vision and I I, I find that there's a lot to admire there when that combination is pulled off successfully I'm, I'm a huge fan of film and I spend a lot of time watching old films and new films and I just get it's just really animated when when I get to talk about film at that level. How many movies do you think you go through a year? I'm sure Letterboxd has the stat for you, but I'm just curious. I think, I don't know, somewhere between 200 and 300 movies oh a year. Oh, my God. Yeah. I wish. I get, like, yeah. I, I think I get, like, 75, which still feels <laughs> great to me, but... Well, the secret is, like, I don't watch TV shows, like um, people are saying, how do you time for t- find time for movies? And they say, oh, I just rewatched Game of Thrones. And I was like, that was a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that you could have been watching so many interesting movies during that time. You know, so like I, I have learned, I, I don't know how long ago, maybe five plus years ago. I just finally like learned my lesson. I got burned too many times by TV shows that started off promisingly and then just went down the tubes. And yet I was invested and I felt like I had to keep watching, keep watching. And then like. 20, 40, 60 hours went by and I was like, I'd, I'd realized like, oh, I'd actually rather be watching like good movies than, than <laughs> doing that. So that, so most people are watching as much, you know, video media for lack of a better term as I am, but they're just doing it in a different way. Yeah. And um, the last question about movies, your letterbox profile has the awful truth as one of your favorite movies. And it's also your yeah. profile banner. As someone that hasn't seen that movie, I'd love to hear a little bit about it without spoilers. What do you love about it? Like, sell it to us. (laughs) It's it comes from a time when romantic comedy that term was not like a bad word, and Mm. it 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 comes from a time when when like scripts and dialogue was like in Hollywood films were like maybe at their peak in terms of of communicating interesting ideas and forming characters in really sort of vivid ways and sort of setting them in opposition to one another really well. And so what you get is just like this rich banquet of like snappy dialogue and funny situations and just, just just really general good feeling. And it's, it's about the, this couple played by Cary Grant and Irene Dunn who essentially get divorced as a game of chicken and then spend the rest of the movie trying to find their ways, their way back to one another. So I think it's, it's kind of a masterpiece. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have to check it out. I, I, I love, I love old movies too. And I try to share my love of old movies with as many people as I can, but it's a little yeah. hard sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some people don't want to watch black and white movies. Yeah, it, it's just the way it is. All right, well, that brings us to our hot takes. They're not too hot, but there's some really great questions that we like to ask all of our guests. And we'll start off with one that I'm not sure if you'll know what it means, so I can explain after, but would you consider yourself an anchor or a balloon? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, um, I think I'm an anchor. Care to explain? I think I try to be very grounded and make sure that there's weight and substance to whatever Mm -hmm. I participate in. Yeah, totally. Next one. What's your favorite podcast? Or if that's, if that's kind of hard, what's, what's a podcast that you've been listening to a lot lately? What is my favorite podcast? Uh, (laughs) there's this podcast about 
film that I like a lot <laughs> called the film cast, which I actually know two of the guys and they just have this great appetite for film. So I, I listen to that like avidly and it's just great dialogue about film. And then I also really like Conan O'Brien's podcast. Conan O'Brien needs a friend, which is mm. like nine times out of 10, like really, really hilarious, especially like when he gets on like a guest who really is like vibes with him in terms of their sense of humor. So, Right. One thing that excites you and one thing that bothers you about the design industry as it currently stands. And you can feel free to not answer it if you feel like you don't want to. <laughs> one thing that excites me about design is... The idea that the various disciplines of design can converge. I think we've, we're in, a, in, in an environment now where there's been a lot of specialization, basically, between you know marketing, communication, communications designers, UX, UI designers, video designers. And I think there's a real opportunity for those disciplines to really come together and collaborate and create new kinds of experiences in a way that we haven't seen yeah, and I think that's that's tremendously exciting. And then, what's the one thing that annoys me about design? Was that the yeah. other part yeah. of the question? Yeah. Um, just really bad design writing. There's a a lot of it. I mean, so on the one hand, I'm very grateful that designers are willing to write and share, and, and I think that's terrific. But there's just a lot of design writing out there that's just really shallow. Like the, it's not really great great thinking and it overly emphasizes and focuses too much on mm. the the how of design rather than the why so. mm. and it's also just not written very well so <laughs> that that drives me a little bit batty john mentioned that you hate la so i guess on the flip side what's the city <laughs> that you really like or your favorite city i'm kind of guessing new york but yeah i mean i like new york i like i like cities where there's more walking than driving mm. and so new york you know paris you know tokyo i think those are the kinds of cities that that i feel comfortable in i don't like I, there's lots of great things about la and it, and it's really can be fun to visit but i don't like spending all my time like you know on the four or five <laughs> piece of product design that has stood out to you recently as exceptional okay just the top of my head i don't know if you guys use one password but they just released a new version and i was looking at the i haven't actually installed it yet I, I'm, I'm a user but the new version which is at one password eight they had just a really nice launch video and i've just always been impressed with that product how they've they've really solved a, a huge pain point for Lots and lots of people, and I sometimes I'm just shocked when people don't use password managers and in general, but in particular that they don't use one password because it's to me it's it's essential. So I was just looking at that earlier today. On the topic of movies, most memorable movies you've watched recently? Memorable in a good way, or honestly, either. I would love to hear <laughs> either way. Let's see. I saw uh, the unbearable weight of massive talent that Nick. Cage movie mm -hmm. that was fun it's not a great movie but it inspired me to go back and watch or rewatch adaptation which mm. is a almost a masterpiece i think that's a fantastic movie uh, i watched this movie from 1969 called z which is amazing like, just, it's probably maybe just a letter z that's yeah just a letter z okay it's a it's a french movie it's it's in french but it's uh the director is greek his name is costa gravis gavras and it's about a political assassination. And if you watch it, you will see like the template for like 
political thrillers that followed for the next three or four decades. It's really an amazing movie. Mm. Right, and I'm going to give it to Nico for our last question, for which the is last one. yeah, just a little goofy one that we like to end off on. Alrighty, so last question is sock sock shoe shoe or sock shoe sock shoe. <laughs> All right, let me think about it. Socks, sock, sock, shoe, shoe. Yeah. We've had a pretty, <laughs> honestly, thinking back on all of our episodes, we've had a pretty unanimous sock, sock, shoe, shoe. I think we had one person not yeah. answer it. It's the efficiency of batch processing. <laughs> <laughs> right? You're in a sock mode. Yep. Like, you don't want to, you don't want to context switch and yeah. like be dealing with like, the tongue of a shoe and then like the laces, like you're figuring out the dynamic of the tube sock or whatever. And so you may as well capitalize on that and realize the efficiency. Like you figure it out on one leg or on one foot, you do, you apply it to the other and then you start to tackle the the shoe. So very well said. That was, that was a really pedantic, <laughs> pedantic way of putting it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that's all the questions, right, Varun? Anything yeah. Else? Well, Thank you so much for joining yeah, us Yeah, great to meet you guys. Yeah, nice yeah. It was really you. fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Keep in touch. Yeah, we'll love to. Do.